0: The Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the desire of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty.
1: Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I ask you this day in Jesus' name to bless the work of your people. What they put their hand to do, Lord, would you bless it and multiply it, just like you promised the people on Haggai's day. I believe your promises are true and forever. Now we may hear your word this morning, Lord, and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob put the children of Israel into a proverbial meat grinder. 710 years of their existence was in slavery. 710 years of their 1,100 years as a nation, they spent in some form of captivity. 400 years they were captive in Egypt. 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. And when the kingdom split in two, The ten tribes in the north went 200 years in captivity, and the two southern tribes went into captivity for 70 years. In this proverbial meat grinder God put him in, he was trying to teach him what it was to be the people of God and what it meant to follow the Lord God Almighty. But even in this situation, God was good to his people. When he called them out of Egypt, he gave them gold and silver and all the things they would need to survive and build God a tabernacle. He gave them a a cloud by day and a fire by night to guide them as they was wandering to their destination. He fed and watered them in the wilderness when they complained and cried and said, You brought us out here to kill us. He said, No, I didn't. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to water you. The Lord God says, I'm going to protect you. And along the way to their final destination, God fought battles in their behalf. When David served under Saul, there was a little bit of rift in the kingdom of God. And when Saul passed away, David finally united the empire under his reign. And it was during this time David had in his heart to build the Holy One a house. David was forbidden to build God a house because David had sinned against the Lord God Almighty. But God said to him, in my love for you, I will allow your son to build me a house. David's dream was fulfilled through his son King Solomon in 957 B.C., At a cost of over $240 billion in gold, silver, brass, jewels, robes, musical instruments, food, labor, building materials, tapestry. Everything they needed to build God's temple, Solomon had to do it. God had blessed them. God had took care of them and said, now it's time for you to build me a house. So after Solomon and the children of Israel built the temple of God, this was Solomon's prayer, and this is what happened in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down from heaven and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. When Solomon passed away, the children of Israel split into two nations. Solomon's son Rehoboam uh, ruled the southern empire, and a man named Jeroboam took the northern empire. Ten tribes went north. Two tribes uh, went south. Well, during this time, the children of Israel, since they decided not to follow the ways of God and trust in God anymore, in 722 B.C., the ten northern tribes fell into captivity to the Assyrians. In the year 586 B.C., the two southern tribes fell to the Babylonians. 270 years total, the tribes were in captivity. But there came a time when God said, that's enough for my people. And the king told the children of Israel, you can go back to Jerusalem and begin to build your temple again. In 538 B.C. under King uh, Cyrus of Persia, a group went back to Jerusalem to build the house of God. A second group back went back in 458 B.C. And then a third group went back in 445 B.C. Haggai... What I just read was the first of three what was called post-exile prophets to speak during this time. Zechariah and Malachi being the other two. Haggai spoke to the messengers on the first trip when Israel went back the very first time. He spoke four messages to the children of Israel on their first trip back to Jerusalem in three months and 22 days. And this is what God said to the people of God when they returned to Jerusalem. Message one. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, he speaks to the leadership, Zerubbabel, the governor, and to Joshua, the high priest. And God asks a question, what is going on? In verse 4, he says, Is it time for ye to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? When people of other nations heard that Israel was coming home to build God a house, they got mad at the children of Israel, and they went to the king and said, You cannot allow these people to build a house. They understood the mighty power of God and they wanted no part of God. They wanted nothing to do with God and they wanted nothing to do with Israel. And Israel was afraid. So Israel decided to stop building the house of God because they couldn't stand the pressure that was coming their way. Message 2, chapter 2, verse 3 To the people of God, Haggai asked a questions What do you see? Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? One month after beginning to build the house of God again, the people of God get discouraged. The first group that went into captivity, they were young. They remember the temple and all the mightiness of the temple, how God moved in their midst, how God protected him, how God watched over them, and how God had constantly blessed them with everything they were doing. And as they went back to build the temple of God, they said, why are we wasting our time? What are we doing here? This house looks nothing like the house we remember, and we want nothing to do with that. Message 3, chapter 2, verses 11 through 19. To the priests, Haggai asked a question to the priest. He says, What do you think? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with this skirt touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? The priest answered and said, No, it will not. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and says, It shall be unclean. What the prophet was saying to the people is holiness. Their right way of living is not contagious. You can't just grab somebody and say, You're going to come and be holy today. It don't work like that. But evil is very contagious. Evil always begets evil, but holiness will always not make somebody holy. And what he meant by this, the children of Israel, they were in bondage and in captivity. And the way they became right with God was through the sacrifice in the temple. There was no temple. There was no tabernacle. There was no altar. They could not be right with God. So in God's eyes, they were unholy. They were not right with him. And so they looked and said, you're not accepting our sacrifice. Why not? Because you're not right with me, he said. Message four. This is a personal message in chapter 2, verse 23, to the governor. He asked the governor, Governor, what do you believe? He says, In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shittiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee a signet. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel had a big job. As governor, he had to lead and guide the people to do the work of God. And he was nervous. What am I doing here, Lord? The nations are against me. The people are turning on me. Everything is going south. And the Lord God Almighty asked him, what do you believe? Do you believe me? Do you trust me? In these four messages, Haggai gives the consequences of what's going on. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, You look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man to his own house. He's saying to the people, you sought the wrong thing. You went after the wrong thing. And since you went after the wrong thing, I won't bless the wrong thing. I will only bless the right thing, the Lord God says. Chapter 2, verse 14, then answered Haggai and said, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands. That which they offer there is unclean. And there eyes, man, Lord God, can we not do nothing in your eyes? Do you not love us? Do you not care for us? Are you going to curse everything we do? We're trying our best here, but we seem we're not able to find where you're at, man. We're not able to get to where you want us to get to. You do not care about us, Lord God. Chapter 2, verse 19, is a seed yet in the barn, yea, as yet is the vine. And the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. Why? Nothing you've done has brought my blessing. Nothing you do is going to cause me to do what you want me to do. Why? He asks the question, why? He says, because of your attitude toward my house. You don't love my house. You don't love my house. He says, you don't love me. It's in my house where you find the blessing. And they asked, why? How, why did we not love your house? You gave into pressure and said it was not time to build your house. You got worried about the other people. You got worried about the other nations. You took no thought of me. You only thought about what was going on around you. You did not build my house. You became discouraged and said it was not the same house as you remembered. When they went back and they started to build, the temple was in ruins. Their community was in ruins. Everything was around them was in ruins. And that had to be a sad sign for the people to go home. Lord, this ain't the same, man. You're not the same God that I remember. You don't move the same way that I remember. You don't move the same way that I think you should move, Lord. Therefore, I'm discouraged. Why build your house? Why build your kingdom? There's no profit in it. You're not in it. I don't feel you in it. I don't sense you in it. God says, you forgot. I am the Lord of hosts. I am a promise-keeping God. He says in him, a change in your attitude will turn my chastisement into blessing. Why? God is a covenant-keeping God. God says in chapter 1, verse 13, I am with you, he says. Then speak Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. I heard you complaining. I heard you groaning. I know you had a long walk back to freedom. I know what I brought you out of. I know I put you through the grinder. But I want you to know I am with you, and I love you. Why? Why? Why, Lord, if I'm so mean and I'm so corrupt and I'm so dirty and I'm so rotten and nothing I can do wherever ever please you, why are you with me? He answers the question in 2.5. Because I'm a covenant-keeping God. I made a covenant with you in Egypt. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, fear ye not. God loved him because he's a covenant keeping God. He cannot lie. He promised Abraham to bless him. And everybody that followed blessed, he would bless through Abraham. God kept his covenant. He keeps his covenant today through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a covenant keeping God. He cannot lie. He says, besides that. Chapter 2 and verse 8, it all belongs to me anyway. I'm the Lord God Almighty. I shake the mountains. I shake the heavens. I shake the earth. I shake kings and I shake queens. I call them to do my will. I call them to do my will but I allow you to go home because I love you and I will not let anything happen to you. And one day the nations will shake. They will shake and they will move to come to you because I'm God and I'm a covenant-keeping God. all belongs to him anyway you can't move breathe or do anything without the king of kings and lord of lords the silver is mine the gold is mine saith the lord of hosts what i'm about to say to you is something that happens in every denomination every denomination goes through this every kind of church government goes through this Every church that breaks off of a denomination and goes independent will go through this. You're not exempt from anything I'm about to tell you. Everybody goes through it. After studying the church of the brethren in general, and your church specifically, I feel like God's pretty well put you in the meat grinder. I think he's put you through it pretty good. Now, I know you can't see that up there, but that's how many times the brethren denomination has broke off from one another. And you'll see the very last one in the middle. That's now called the covenant brethren church, who broke off from the church of the brethren. Whew, that's very confusing to me because there's brethren church, church of the brethren. So nobody's exempt from that. Everybody breaks, man. If Israel split, if the disciples split, If the church split during Jesus' day, their church is going to split and go crazy today. That's just the way it is. I don't know why or how. That's just the way it is. People interpret the Bible differently. Some say, we want to keep to the past, to the old ways. We want to follow tradition. Others say, we want to walk right down the middle of the line where we want to hold to the past and try to reach to the future. And others say, no, we need to get rid of everything and go to the future as if making any of these moves is going to do anything. This is all fads and movements. Unless God is in it, it ain't going to matter what any of us do. But I'm going to tell you something. This church is a well-oiled machine. Man, you guys have a system. You have boards that govern what you consider to be every aspect of your ministry. You flow together. You work together. On Sunday morning, everybody knows their job and everybody does their job. You have a job to do and you get it done. You flow and you move and you do the things you think you need to do to keep the church going. Your leadership is outstanding. I really believe your leadership is outstanding. You don't keep a church going this long for so many years without having good leadership. It just don't happen. You have outstanding leadership. But I still think you've been through some really rough stuff. And I just want to outline a few things that I've seen from my perspective. And it could be the deacons gave me a call later on and said, see you later, buddy. We don't need you no more. This is just Brian Jevedon speaking. Okay? I believe this is what God laid on my heart. i am never one to hold back. I'm not afraid of being wrong. Not afraid of being right. It happens when you're married. You ain't afraid to be wrong. First of all, after studying your church history, you know, two churches combine into one. Back in those days, I'm figuring out the Brethren way was. They built all these churches in all these places, but I I look at it from my perspective. Back in that time, it's all woods, and you travel on a horse and buggy. That's got to be hard for people, man. So they put churches in different areas so that some people on one weekend wouldn't have to travel as far. Everybody shared in the trouble together getting to church. So these churches come together. You've had around 20 pastoral changes. You have a maturing congregation, a decline in attendance, COVID restrictions, and live stream. Now, you may not think live streaming is harmful. Cool. Say what you will about me. But it don't put the people of God gathered as one community is what we are. Now people can sit on live stream, they can sit in their bed, drink their coffee, and feel like they've been in church. Feel like they've been in worship. Say, thank you, I've been in worship and I've been in church today. Live stream don't cut it. It just don't. God never designed us to be at home by ourselves. He designed us to be a community, a community of faith, a community together to love him and serve him. And when people are driving around, they say, what are those wackos doing in that building? They're serving and following the Lord Jesus Christ because He done something in their life. Everything we do, everything we say is to honor him, and we do it as a community of believers, and we flow and we function together. contemplating breaking ties with your denomination. I'm sure there's great debates about this. I'm I'm pretty sure there is. Should we stay? Should we go? In the end, it's all about the money. You don't want to give up the money, you do want to give up the money. You want to fight the system, you don't want to fight the system. All these things put pressure on the local church. It does. And You're scrambling and asking the question, How do we get young people in? They're just not going to walk through your door because you change your music style, they're not going to walk through your door because you get you a youth pastor or a children's pastor or you have the best nursery. They just don't walk into the church when you were lost and done. Did you just say, One day I'm going to go to church and get saved? Lord, no. Somebody asked you to church, you probably said, I don't want none of that stuff. Why? I'm enjoying my life. I'm enjoying the way I live. Why well, don't want to go to church with you to hear a preacher just cut my head off about how bad I am. It don't work like that. Nothing you can do yourself will grow the kingdom of God. God grows his kingdom. He extends his kingdom. God moves his kingdom. Even in this meat grinder, though, God has showed his goodness to this particular church. Many congregation members in the past, and I'm sure even now, gave land, gave building materials, gave time, gave money to build this church. They gave their whole heart to build the church to serve the kingdom of God. Back in those days, it was multiple pastors serving an area, they never received a dime for what they did. And I happen to come up from a school where our pastors didn't receive nothing. They lived on what they considered truly faith. A lot of them lost their families over stuff like that. It's a hard life. But when you love the Lord Jesus Christ, who cares about the money, man? He'll bring it when he wants to, and when he don't, he'll shut it off. He's just that kind of God. But pastors receive little or no compensation to help build the church. And you are here. You are here a service of God, keeping the church going. When you come in on Sunday morning, you probably come in early. You get your stuff together. You make sure everything's organized. The outside of the building is phenomenal. It looks beautiful. It's cut great. It's just remarkable. You come in, you're greeted. We make sure we have somebody teaching the children. We want nothing to be left behind or nothing left undone. You're doing the work. You want to keep the church going. Which wants me to ask you a question. It's not your church. No sir. No man. It's God's church. This ain't your building. It's God's building. God owns it he uses it you and he allows you to express your love for him by the work you do in this building when you greet somebody you greet them for the glory of god when you teach somebody you teach them for the glory of god when you give an offering or a tithe or however you do it here, you give it for the glory of God. When you lead worship, you give it for the glory of God. When you play, play the piano, you give it for the glory of God. When you're greeting somebody, it's for the glory of God. When you're mowing the grass, it's for the glory of God. I like to clean the pews. I like to make sure all the hymnals and Bibles are straight. No communion cups are left. No snotty rags are left. So when people come into the church, they say, man, this is kind of organized. I don't want them to say that. It's for the glory of God. It's because I love the Lord Jesus. And I put all my effort and all my time into study and reading the word of God so I could be effective in what I do. Not for me. It's for when I sit in that ditch. And they would pick me up and throw me on the side of the road until I sobered out. And he says, I love you. It's when my best friend's mom prayed for us. And said, I just want you to know, God said we need to pray for you guys. It's because of his love that any of us do anything in the church It's His love that brings us into this building. I know fellowship is important. I know you and I being together is important. But that's not as important as the work that He's done in our lives that we share with one another, that He's a covenant, keeping, loving God. And He'll love you no matter what. So I say to the leadership this morning, keep doing the work. Do the work of God. Do what needs to be done. Build the house of God. Work in the house of God. Do His work. Love Him. Serve Him. Follow Him. Do it for Him and His glory. Don't do it because of tradition or for past, but do it because you love Him. And this is your way naturally and physically to say, I love you. To the members of this church, this is going to sound strange to you, to the members of this church, we maybe watching by way of live stream. And you don't come to church anymore. And you don't have another church. This is your church. I say to you, come home. Come home. Is this where God touched your heart? Is this where the Sunday school teacher made a difference in your life? Is this where your kids were raised and brought up in the faith? Is this where they learned to love the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this the church that God touched you in and blessed you in? I say to you, come home. The church will change. Structure will change. Church changes. Everything changes. There's change all around you. Ministries will change. What the church thinks important one week, they'll say it's not important next week. The church will constantly change. But one thing will never change, and that's the goodness of God in your life. He has never changed toward you. He has always loved you. He has always watched over you. He has always cared for you. And I say, if you're out there, member, if you're out there and you haven't signed your book, or even if you have signed your book, it don't matter to me. If this is your church, come home. There is work to be done. And do it for the glory of God because He loves you. What's changed? Could it be our heart and attitude toward him or his house? Have we lost heart in what he can do when we don't see what we want him to do? He's going to do what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it. He's God. But I truly believe if we all work together... If we all do the work necessary that needs to be done in the house, I believe he will bless this church just as he promised the people of God in Haggai's day. This is what he said to the governor and to the people of God. Now be strong, Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all the people of the land, saith the Lord, and work For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. He is with you. He is with us. He is in our heart and he reigns in our hearts. And if we will do the work, God will do the blessing. He says in verse 9, not only will I do that, he says, but he says, go ahead, all you people who say this house wasn't like it was in Haggai's day. Change your attitude. Change your heart. You think it looked good then? Wait to see what I'm going to do. He says in verse 9, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than other former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Isn't that the brethren way to offer people grace and peace and love and mercy and kindness? God said he'll do it. He will grant it. He will give it, and he will give it in droves. We just need to do the work and be happy when we're doing the work because we're doing the work for him. Father, I just pray this morning in Jesus' name that you bless this congregation. And, Lord, if our hearts are really hurt and are torn by the words that I said, I pray you bring healing to know That you are with us. And God, you said if you're for us, no one could be against us. The West Alexandria Church of the Brethren worked so hard to build this church. And they don't want to see anything happen to this church. They don't want to see anything happen to their families, Lord. They pray for the salvation of people. They want to be a witness and a light, Lord. Help them and help me, Lord, to do the work that you've called us to do, Lord. And let us do the work together. And I hold you to this promise that you make to Haggai, God. Fill this place with your peace. That when anyone lost or undone comes in, they feel the grace of God and the peace of God, Lord. That if the old saints come back in, Lord, they feel the love of God and the peace of God. And know your glory is here because Jesus Christ reigns in our hearts and we love him and we serve him. Thank you for being a covenant keeping God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thanking you for putting people in our lives to lead us along the way. Thank you for this building. Thank you for this congregation. Now, Lord, just touch us with your love, with your grace, with your peace. And, Lord, if some way we failed you, help us to make it right with you so that you will bless this house. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Will you please stand with me for the benediction? Benediction today comes from Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever. Amen.